Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Traxler and Carolyn Ford to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Now, let's get to the point. Welcome to To The Point Cybersecurity. I'm Carolyn Ford with Eric Trexler. Hi, Eric. Hey, Carolyn. My floors are dry, finally. Oh, that, excellent. That water excellent. leak. You, you should have seen this, this hose. It was one of those steel braided hoses. It just burst. I mean, I, I have no idea how there was so much pressure, but we're finally dry and okay. Well, excellent. So we're going to pick up where we left off last episode with our 2020 review of cybersecurity trends and our 2021 insights or predictions with Mike Groose, executive editor, Defense News, and C4ISRnet, and Phil Goldstein, senior editor for FedTech and State Tech. So, all right, guys, we're just going to pick up where we left off last week. And where we were headed was insider threats, basically. We talked last week about missions always going to win. Like the more security pieces we put in control, and we talked about this with the other predictions, like people are really ingenious, right? They're going to find a way to do what they need to do. So Dr. Cunningham has written this insight and she says something that I really like. She said that successful cybersecurity strategies will stop trying to use technology as a unilateral force to control human behavior, but instead we have to better understand these behaviors to find ways to mitigate their risk to organizations and organizational assets. So Phil, I'm gonna toss this one to you first. What do you think about that? Uh, I think that that's very true. And I think that this comes down to government agencies building surveys that ask questions of users, not just about their behaviors and how they interact with applications and security tools, but why. What motivates people to take shortcuts or use shadow IT or not comply fully with security protocols? And then pivot from that and try to determine how solutions can be architected that either solve for that problem that users say they're experiencing or, you know, try to, um, you know, build in some way to accommodate that behavior. Now, you know, this contrasts with this desire that we've heard among agencies, especially within DOD and the intelligence communities to move to a zero trust model and require authentication all the time, you know, for access to the network and access to resources. And there may be some organizations that can say, you know what, if you want to get access, you have to play by these rules, no exceptions. And that's probably more likely to fly, I would think, and Mike can chime in and correct me if I'm wrong, it's probably more likely to fly in a military organization than a civilian one where you have a tradition of sort of chain of command and, and following orders. But I think that if you want users to not do workarounds to your security measures, you need to understand why they would want to, and then re-engineer around that deeper understanding. You know, I, th I think you're right, Phil. And I think, you know, what we talked about last week, just where um, the demands of telework or the demands of the pandemic or the demands of a leader who maybe doesn't have quite the same understanding. I think that's where that's where the issue will be. 
Phil, do you see a difference between the way in behavior between state and or federal employees, contractors, agents, you know? Um, I think that I would say, you know, state and local IT officials and IT leaders who I talk to, um, you know, say that training is a huge part. Training and awareness is a huge part of what they do in terms of security. Um, you know, they tend to um, not have as many resources, you know, as federal agencies uh, from a budgeting standpoint to, um, you know, apply to training. So I think that, you know, you are probably more likely to see um, gaps or lapses. Um, you know, I think that that's one of the reasons why local governments, for example, have perennially now for, you know, the past several years been huge targets for ransomware attacks because, um, you know, you're just more likely um, to get somebody to click on, you know, a link or go to some um, malicious website. And uh, you're probably also less likely than you might be in a federal context, although this is changing um, based on conversations to have those kind of next generation endpoint security tools um, to protect users when they're working, you know, remotely from home. Um, but, you know, some state governments are starting to put those kinds of tools in place. Um, and, um, you know, I think that we should be, um, you know, focused on um, how to, you know, how to, you know, get get people to to understand, uh, you know, get IT leaders to understand that you know they need to meet their users kind of where they are. Yeah, I think Dr. Cunningham, who's a behavioral scientist by the way, not an IT professional, uh, which which I love. I, I think she sums it up well. We can learn more about what motivates behavior and how people ultimately choose to behave. You know, in, in her recommendation. Because we're really talking about people. We're talking about humans. And if you crank the security down too much, they're going to squirt out and get the job done some other way. And if you don't have enough security, well, they'll get the job done, but it may not matter. And I, I think part of what you're saying, Phil, is at the state level, they have less security, so they may need to go off road less, but they still may be less secure in some cases because they just don't have the talent or the infrastructure or the budget. Yeah, I think that that's true. So ultimately well, what we're talking con- about, go ahead, Carolyn. Well, I was just going to say having context around it is so important. Uh, doing that, that behavioral baseline. So we understand, you know, why people are trying to do what they're, what they're trying to do. Right. Instead of just locking it down. Yeah. I, I believe really most, I believe most people go to work every day intending to do a good job. They're trying to get their work mm-hmm. done, whether it's writing their article or making sure their team's okay or creating marketing material, as you do, Carolyn, um, for, for the organization. They go to work and they try to get it done, but they may have to go to Dropbox or outside some corporate system to get it done. And they don't necessarily understand or care that that could create a risk for the organization. They're just trying to do their job. Yeah. And they're well-intentioned. Most people are well-intentioned in this world. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live with that at least. I agree. So let's talk about maybe the not so well-intentioned AI. (laughs) So machine learned 
machine-based learning, AI. I, I've heard a lot about this lately, just that there's so many baked-in biases to AI. So how can it be um, objective? So um, Eric and Phil, I guess, Eric, let's, let's send it over to you first. Yeah, this one's this one's a tough one for me because people are still creating, uh, you know, the algorithms in many cases. And, you know, we, we I, I think, Mike, you were saying earlier that that. Uh, um, oh, I'm blanking here, Carolyn, cut this out. Jürgen, cut this out. Um, <laughs> wh- what the hell was where was I going with that, Mike? You, you were talking about uh, oh, zero trust. Sorry. Let's start that over. Mike, I think you were talking about okay. zero trust being ubiquitous everywhere. It's the new buzzword. It's everything. Well, AI and machine learning have been for the last half decade, at least. I don't know that I've seen a lot of AI in cybersecurity. Um, I'm starting to see it in the photography side. On the machine learning side, um, I think we're seeing more and more. But I, I think humans are still involved, Carolyn, and you can still fake the system out. Mike, I don't, I don't know your thoughts. I'll tell you, you know, there was um, one of the Air Force's intelligence off, uh, top intelligence officers spoke on this um, last week. And I'm going to um, just read a paragraph from one of my colleague's stories. Uh, it was from Mark Pomerlone. He said, um, this is talking about AI bias. He said, in a national security context, the consequences could be dire. For example, what if the military builds an intelligence al- algorithm that is unintentionally biased toward Russian intrusion intrusion methods versus Chinese or uh, Iranian. Uh, what if military builds an algorithm to locate ballistic missile, missiles, but developers only use North Korean imagery data to train it? Um, will it be able to accurately locate ballistic mis- missiles originating from other adversaries? So I think there's, you know, the story goes on and it talks about, you know, just even in customer service, how there are biases and you know, someone with um, someone who's learned English as a second language or male voices versus female voices. And, um, you know, there there is uh, a lot of opportunity just in thinking, hey, this is how I think and, and this is the way it must be done. And so, I, you know, obviously for years we've talked about um, diversity of thought in the office, you know, making making for a better work workplace. And I, and I think what we're, we're going to see here is if there is uh, a bias in AI in it, or, you know, people only thinking about problems the same way. That's, that's, that's where, that's where we're going to run into problems. Like, or we've only seen, you know, this intrusion look like ABC and we haven't really gamed it out that, or it's, it's, that's how we see it, but that's not actually what's happening. And so it, it, you're going to have to turn things around and look at it from a different perspective. And just even like his facial recognition software, right? How it, has a hard time with darker colored skin. Did you know Kodak knew about that? Like we're talking decades ago. They didn't do anything about it until I think it was um, furniture companies started saying that their customers were unable to identify the different wood species. And that's when Kodak started to address it. So I mean, talk about crazy biases that have been baked in for so long. So. Bill, I'd like to get your perspective on this too. I think that it's very clear for you know the data science community that they need to do a better job of um, addressing bias in machine learning models. Um, at the AWS reInvent conference last week, they said that they were going to 
uh, launched this thing called SageMaker Clarify uh, to basically give you insight into your data and your models. Um, you know, and it's designed to analyze data for bias before you start data prep so that whoever's working with the data can spot these kinds of problems before you even start building your models. But it's a big problem. Um, you know, there's been a ton of research on this that I was reading about um, in terms of, you know, um, it depends upon who, who you have building the models. You know, there was this research from Columbia um, that tasked 400 AI engineers to create algorithms, um, you know, that made 8.2 million predictions, about 20,000 people. Um, it's the study that was put into the Navigating Broader Impacts of AI Research at the 2020 NER IPS Machine Learning Conference. Um, and they basically found that, you know, um, for example, male programmers' prediction errors were more likely to be correlated with each other. And, um, you know, that basically indicates that the more homogeneous your data science team is, the more likely it is that a given prediction error is going to recur. So basically, building more diversity into your machine learning team reduces the probability that you're going to have bias that compounds. And I think that ultimately, you basically can't turn all of this over to the algorithm. You need to, as Mike was saying, look at this from another perspective, bring that human intelligence and human judgment in, um, you know, to your understanding of the algorithm, uh, you know, the risk that you're creating with it, um, the biases, you know, and maybe this involves having some kind of a red team, you know, analysis of your machine learning model to call out the bias and say, you know, hey, you know, we're people who are not as closely connected with building this model, we're coming at it from a somewhat outside perspective. And we can tell the people who are building the model, hey, you need to watch out for this because you didn't catch this when you were initially building the model. So, you know, it's a big problem, um, you know, and as machine learning becomes a greater part of, um, you know, how the government um, does its work and analyzes data, uh, I think it's going to become more critical to address. So but what I'm hearing you both say is diversity is good in the workplace, but it's also good in mm -hmm. the algorithms, right? Absolutely. Well, and do you, do you think we're going to see, are we going to see government take the lead and require the diversity that we're talking about, like as these algorithms are being built, like just, I'm talking basic diversity, you know, people from different genders, different ethnicities involved in this. Is that going to be a thing or am I just, Dreaming. I guess I would I, I'll play this the curmudgeonly old journalist who's a skeptic <laughs> about everything, which is like I think government will do it when they're forced to do it, like when there's when either Congress says do it or when they're when they run into a problem in, um, you know, hopefully not on the battlefield, but you know somewhere else where there's a mistake and then it there has to be a correction. All right. So is that your 2021 prediction, Mike, that government's going to do it when they have to do it? No, I have, I have, I wrote these down. I have good predictions for 2021. All right. Well, let's go to your predictions, Mike and Phil. So Mike, you get to go first. Give us your top predictions for 2021. All right. So here are the ones um, that I wrote down. We touched on some of this last week and, and some today. I think we're going to see one, a continued emphasis um, within the military and 
the intelligence community on information warfare. Um, not just, I, I think, you know, we've thought of um, cyber operations and to a certain extent, cybersecurity is kind of a separate, uh, you know, even it's a, a separate domain, but I think that we're going to see that tied in more broadly to information warfare and maybe have that integration between other services. Uh, yeah, we've always over. had information warfare, but cyber has put it at warp speed now, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. we've also just, always had the biggest budget and way to convey the information we wanted to convey. Now it's cheap and easy. Any adversary can do it. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I think that, I think we'll just see um, an increased emphasis on that. You know, we're seeing restart generals run, run these commands now. And, and so I think that that shows uh, the level of importance that the military is putting on it. And I think it will continue to escalate. Um, the next one I wanted to bring up is I, I think we'll start to see, um, at least I'm keeping my fingers crossed on this for, for some folks, but maybe a greater um, level of thoughtfulness when it comes to classification. I think because um, it's been so hard to work on classified material uh, at home during the pandemic that, in, you know, there are folks who still need to come in to do classified work. There, there, is, there are certain aspects that you can't escape. And so I'm not sure technology necessarily is the answer necessarily is the answer. I think maybe the, the easier step is to make sure that only that material that needs to be classified is classified. And so maybe people will be thinking more about that than rather than have someone come in an office and, and maybe be at risk or, or um, you know, be unnecessarily out, especially as, you know, everyone expects the next couple months, things could be, even though the vaccines on the way, things could still be pretty ugly with pandemic. I think there will be a greater emphasis there on, on what is and what parts of, you know, anything need to be classified. Um, and then I, I, I actually love that one because, I mean, even where we work, Eric, it can be an issue. And honestly, like, I, a lot of times I think it's easy. People just go the easy route and just leave whatever the default classification is rather than think about it and think, does this really need this classification level or can this just be public? So that one's, Right, but it's safe to it's safe to overclassify. Plus, exactly. a lot of times the data, even CYA. even if marked appropriately, is it, it's it's on a classified network, mm -hmm. so it's really hard to take unclass from a JWIX or a, a secret level network and share it because you've got to print it. It's all the markings are there. It's unclassed. Then you scan it, Mike. I agree with you. I hope they go this direction. But I'll tell you, the CMMC team, who I'm a big fan of. They're putting out CUI classification markers now. Now that'll be shared, but the number of markers they're putting out there—it's—it's it's just going to make the problem. I mean, there are dozen, dozen plus categories, twenty categories. And, you know, that gets into so it gets complicated. It, is, and it gets into what we talked about earlier. If things are too complicated, will they just not get done, or will they, you know, will they resort to something? And I think all—I think that's a conversation we're going to be having more in 2021. Um, and then Good. quickly, you know, we talked we about Cozy Bear. I think um, we're going to see more internationally. I think we're going to see more alliances lead to faster attribution. Um, I think, you know, we, we've seen that obviously the United States isn't the only one who's facing these problems and isn't the only one with solutions. So I think we're going to see a lot, um, a lot more on this kind of countries who are of the same mind uh, mindset and, and some greater cooperation there. And then the last one. 
you think we'll do, do you think we'll do something if we get, you know, if we get some, some level of basic or, or, you know, relatively assured attribution, do you think we'll start doing more? Um, yes. Will we be start doing more publicly? I think that's a different question. Um, that technique not graded, right? Yeah. Get the job done. Okay. And then my last, uh, this is my counterintuitive prediction for 21, which is, I think we will see tech fatigue and that because we're spending all day on zoom and all day, you know, on networks or somewhere else, I think we're just going to see folks who, who kind of walk away from this and say like, Hey, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do these meetings anymore. Just you're going to need to come in the office or you're going to need to do this. And so I think there will be um, an opportunity. There is a chance to have um, this emphasis on technology and security right now kind of slip away because folks just get tired of it. And they're like, I'm already there, Mike. I I mean, I have my phone on permanent do not disturb because I, I've just had so much coming at me that I I can't, I'm there. And so that's, that's what I think could happen next year is that, you know, particularly from maybe it's even a year out, but like from a, from a budgeting perspective or from a, even a, a line of effort as a government official might say that, that I, I wonder how long technology and cybersecurity can stay in the spotlight when, when people are just getting. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. I had a Good friend point. this weekend who, who's been in the industry decades and they decide they're, they're contemplating just going into nursing. And it was like, Whoa, wait a minute. That's a, that's a left turn, right? You've been in this industry a couple decades, you're nearing retirement and you're going to go to nursing school. I'm just tired of it all. And I think COVID has worn them down. So I think they're, they're different. I think I agree with you, Mike. I think we'll see different uh, manifestations, if you will, of, of what this looks like, but it's tough. Zoom's tough. It is. Yeah. All right, Phil. Give us your 2021 predictions. Um, I, I, I don't have a ton, but I'll give you a couple that I'm thinking of. Um, you know, I do think that zero trust security is going to become more in vogue on the civilian side of the house. Um, you know, I don't know how many sort of deployments you know, there will be, quote unquote, you can't really deploy zero trust. It's more of the paradigm shift that you make and, and move to in terms of your policies and authentication and all of that. Um, I, I just think that it's going to become um, more popular. You know, DOD and the intelligence community tend to lead on these things. And then I think that, you know, once um, civilian CIOs and CISOs take a look at how that's working, they're going to say, oh, you know, we need to hop on this bandwagon too. Um, you know, so I think that you'll probably see agencies by the end of the year, um, you know, move in that direction. And there's just going to be a lot more discussion about it, about best practices. Um, you know, everybody's going to have their own sort of flavor uh, of zero trust. Um, but I, I do think that you're going to see movement there. I think that, you know, we're, we're starting to reach an inflection point. And I think that the pandemic accelerated that. Um, so that's one. Uh, I think that this is something that's kind of flown under the radar a little bit, but uh, it's one of these wonderful government acronyms, QSMOs uh, or QUISMOs, the quality service management offices, which are for um, you know, developing shared services 
uh, within the federal government. One of those is a stock as a service. Um, and I think that you're going to see greater um, uptake of that shared service. You know, I don't know. You, you think government will? Government will do stock as a service? Well, it's a it's a shared service for government. It's an internal okay. shared service. So like, um, you know, there's shared services for HR and payroll, for example. Um, and this is the, the security one that I think is being run out of DHS. Um, so those are two big ones. I mean, I think that, you know, you're going to see probably uh, a greater emphasis on cloud security since you're going to continue for much of the year to have a lot of people working remotely using cloud tools for, um, you know, collaboration, file sharing. Um, so I think that, you know, I know that um, FedRAMP is in the midst of sort of rejiggering some of their um, classifications for, you know, what low, medium, and high means in response to um, some guidance from NIST. Um, so I think that cloud security is going to, be a hot topic. And do you think it'll come more from the CSPs or more from the vendors that are in the space, the security vendors? Um, or the customers? Like, will Amazon and Microsoft provide more and more? I mean, they will, but where do you think the big thrust will come from? Uh, it will probably come from, I would say, more the customers and the security vendors than the CSPs. The CSPs will sort of continue to add security into their platforms as kind of a matter of course, and we'll make announcements at their big conferences about all the wonderful enhancements that they're making to, you know, Azure and AWS and Google Cloud and, you know, Oracle Cloud and so forth. Um, but I think that you're going to see sort of the pressure for it come from the federal customer. And, you know, that's probably going to be in concert with the security vendors that they're working with. Okay. Just piggyback on Phil's, you know, Callan, I, you know, I know you asked that, but I think security operations centers as a service is not far off for government. You know, we've seen this move toward enterprise IT as a service, you know, in the military, it's, it's really only at the experimental phase right now, but um, that's the, to me, that's a natural outgrowth of, of what comes next. Well, and even the CDM group, group F program really goes to that in a, in a great way. So we're, we're seeing it. I'd like to see it move a little faster, right? Yeah, I, th I think it's a great idea. Yeah, let the so, government okay. govern and give them secure capability. Yeah, absolutely. So we're, we're going to end it there. Another great uh, hour with you guys. Thank you so much. Um, I want to end this episode where Eric and I just decided to try something new for 2021. Um, and we're going to, we want to end with asking our guests some rapid fire questions. So I'm going to start with you, Mike. Um, and I'm going to give you just some, some quick questions. I just want like first top of mind answers, like right. one or two words, really. Are you Did ready you? for this? Right. <laughs> yes, we'll see. All right. What are you reading right now? Ooh, um, I'm the, what I'm starting. I just have to start is a book. It's called Sunny Days. It's about the history of Sesame Street and the children's television workshop. Awesome. Ooh, another one from my list. All right. Do you have a cybersecurity must read? Ooh, um, a book on cybersecurity that's a must read. No, it doesn't have to be a uh, book. 
Like it could oh. be, for example, oh, I would say you. C4 your ISR net. Yeah, of course. Well, you should be reading. <laughs> you should be subscribing to C4SR Net's cybersecurity newsletter, which uh, comes out every month. Or I'm there sorry, every go. Tuesday. I'm a subscriber. But, um, I'm a subscriber. Good. But the the other thing I would add, and I will mention this is um, I mentioned last episode, but Derek Graff had a really uh, excellent profile of General Paul Nakasone, who is um, the head of Cyber Command, and I I would say that's that's worth a worth a read just to kind of even get a little bit of insight into to what's happening on the in this on the cyber perspective on my own brands i would say uh you should follow uh, andrew evers dan and mark uh Pomelo on twitter they're doing a great job covering cybersecurity and cyber operations for c4s all right what have you binge watched and loved i'm in the middle of season two of the mandalorian right now oh that's good yeah oh boy you hit the a hot, hot button with carolyn so Okay. What is your guilty pleasure other than Mandalorian? Um, jelly beans. Ooh. I like jelly bellies or any jelly bean. Uh, I can't help myself. It is like, it is literally one of those foods I cannot stop. And I just like eat until I get sick and then I stop. <laughs> okay. All right. If you had a magic wand, what is the one thing that you would do or change? Uh, you know, one that it, I would, this is like such a terrible answer, but one is the political arguments that start, if so-and-so did X, can you imagine blah, 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 blah. Like right now, I would just get rid of all of those. That just make, just drives me batty, the if hypotheticals, so. Last one, biggest cybersecurity impact in the last 12 months, good or bad? You know what, I, I'm gonna, I don't know that this is a very, I don't know, let me answer, but I guess I would say that outreach from the CMMC office, I think the way that they've talked with industry has been, this is a bit of hyperbole, but almost revolutionary that I don't think we've seen government um, have the same openness to what industry is doing before. So to me, that's, if that provides a playbook for what happens in the future, to me, that would be um, that would be pretty interesting. Yeah, Katie Arrington, big. Good one. Okay, Phil, we have yeah, three minutes. One. All right. Phil, this is, okay, you ready? Same one. What are you reading right now? I am currently reading this wonderful book uh, by John Dickerson called The Hardest Job in the World. And it's about uh, the history of the American presidency and what it means to be a president and kind of the job qualifications that we as voters should uh, maybe look more at when we're going through campaigns and evaluating what actually um, is needed on the job. Uh, it's a really fascinating history. Awesome. All right. Cybersecurity must read. Obviously, C4 ISR net is, yeah, exactly. is a great one. But uh, I would say Krebs on Security oh, yeah. is a great blog. Um, and Security Boulevard has some great stuff. There's no shortage of really great commentary uh, that's out there. All right. What have you binge watched and loved? My fiance and I are currently in the midst of um, watching The Flight Attendant, uh, which is on HBO Max, um, based on novel of the same name, really entertaining, uh, great escapism uh, in these dark times. Ooh, good one to add to my, my, my list. All right. What is your guilty pleasure? It used to be and still is to a certain extent uh, cheeseburgers, but I have in the last couple of months really gotten on the Beyond Burger 
uh, train to try and cut down my intake of red meat and beyond burgers are phenomenal. As long as you, you know, season them, put some hickory smoked right. cheddar on it. Sound, it I, tastes just as good as a, a regular burger. Totally agree. My friend said, if you add bacon, you can't tell the difference. All right. What's one thing you would do if you had a magic wand? What's one thing you would change or do? I forgot. Is this in general or for cybersecurity? Anything. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, expunge misinformation from the internet or, or make people unable to take in and believe misinformation. Oh, good one. Good All right. One. Last question. That is a good one. Biggest cybersecurity impact in the last 12 months. I said, can I change my answer? I want a, I want a coronavirus vaccine that tastes <laughs> like a milkshake. Oh, good one. All right. Done. Biggest cybersecurity impact in the last 12 months. So I got to say the pandemic and how, you know, it's shifted everybody who can work remotely to remote work and all the different cybersecurity considerations that come out from that, you know, whether it's, uh, cloud security or endpoint security, um, you know, it's it's really kind of changed the way a good portion of us work and, and, and operate in the world. And that obviously has security implications. Yeah, good ones. All right. Thanks, you guys. And thanks to our listeners for joining us. And we will talk to you next week. Thank you, All gentlemen. Right. Thank you. Bye. Always good to be on. Thanks Thank so much. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 